0: Good evening, good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Thanks for coming. Trusted you're having a good day so far. Good evening. Sounds like it. This is our welcome to our second of our Advent services for uh, this 2012, on this 12th day of the 12th month, in the 12th year of 2000, right? Did I say that right? 2012? Thank you for coming. Our speaker for this evening is um, Director of Bible and Theology program and also Old Testament professor here at the Bible College, Dr. Tom Keen. Let's welcome him. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Keen. We're celebrating the coming of the Lord and also the coming again of the Lord. Amen. And that's what this Advent season is all about. And last night we celebrated that in Christ we have hope. And we, we lit the first candle signifying it, in Christ we have hope. And so this evening we're going to celebrate the preparation of Christ's coming. And so let us read responsibly as we light the candle of preparation. Now we'll read first and you can follow. Okay. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The light grows gradually brighter as we move through Advent together.
1: The candle of hope already burns bright. Today we light the candle of preparation.
0: The coming Christ desires us to all th- all to thrive. Patiently wanting us to turn from the ways of sin and death, as we wait for the coming of the day of God, we want to be ready. Seeking the straight path, path, we, we light, light this candle to guide our, our steps. steps. Together, Together we pray and strive to lead, lead us us. of holiness, goodness, peace. and peace. Amen. Amen. All of heaven and all creation sing.
1: Spock of the Starship Enterprise. Once stated, having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. I'm glad that statement is not always true. But it does highlight the power of anticipation. Wanting and waiting for something to come to pass. I love anticipating something new and exciting. I have in me just a bit of the techno-geek Consequently, among my favorite times of anticipation are those in which I await the arrival of a new computer or mobile device which has been ordered. Of course, even more importantly, I truly enjoy anticipating the arrival of important occasions like anniversaries and birthdays and holidays. In recent years, my childhood delight for such times of anticipation has been increased in my adult life as I have witnessed my own personality traits being displayed so graphically in my grandson. Together we're now counting the days until we celebrate at grandpa's house the coming of the Christ child as well as a few toys. But a more profound sense of anticipation develops when we're waiting for liberation from some form of oppression, whether it be an illness or an injury, emotional distress or mental anguish or spiritual depression, when we anticipate the coming of some relief, some healing or resolution to our troubles, we eagerly await the arrival of that kind of deliverance. Such was the case for the Judean exiles to whom Isaiah chapter 40 was originally addressed. Imagine the anticipation of those exiled in Babylon for some 50 to 70 years, separated from their homeland, the land of promise, indeed the holy land itself. For those who remembered their heritage, imagine their longing to return home, we often experience a natural longing for our own home state. Even Facebook provides for you the opportunity to indicate your current residence but also your home state. Anyone who has lived in the Republic of Texas understands the sense of pride associated with dwelling in the Lone Star State. Having been raised in the Northwest, I carry a great yearning for any chance to return to the lush, green land of Oregon. For the Judean exiles in Babylon, Judah was more than just home state. It was the promised land. It was considered the very place of God's presence. And now according to divine word through Isaiah, God was about to bring about a dramatic move. The advent of something new was on the horizon. Hope and the anticipation of God's action were kindled by an authoritative word from the prophet. The book of Isaiah proclaims this good news to the exiles in Babylon in the 6th century B.C. From Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, and rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The words of Isaiah announce that the time of punishment has passed, warfare has ended, and iniquity has been removed. It is a time for liberation from exile and return to the promised land. However, between the Judean exiles living in Babylon in the 6th century BC and the Holy Land stood the imposing barriers of the Arabian desert and the Syrian wilderness. Nevertheless, God's act of deliverance would not be impeded. The prophet cried out that a way for the Lord was to be cleared in the wilderness. A highway for God was to be constructed through the desert. Canyons were to be filled in, mountains were to be flattened, rough ground made level and rugged terrain smoothed into valleys. A way was to be prepared for the Lord God to travel through the desert, to reach the exiles and bring them home to the promised land. The prophet prompts the image of earth movers and bulldozers and steamrollers, plowing a path and building a highway through the wilderness worthy of God's passage to retrieve his people. This is good news. The prophet announces the end of exile, the coming of deliverance by the mighty hand of God. God is coming in power and the people are encouraged to look and see, for here is your God. For the exiles in the 6th century BC, the metaphor of preparing a way for the Lord was not just an image of a highway being constructed through the desert, depicting God's coming with a mighty deliverance, defeating enemies, and bringing his people home. The metaphor of preparing a way for the Lord was also a call for revival in the experience of the exiles Babylon had won the day Babylonian gods had been victorious back in the Holy Land the temple of the Lord God had been destroyed and the God of Israel had abandoned his sinful people and they knew they deserved it the warnings of the prophets had come to pass the children of Judah were called after Hosea's children lo ruhama and lo ami, no mercy, and not my people. Because of their unfaithfulness, God's children had experienced destruction, loss, and rejection. Accordingly, the Judean exiles recognized that they had broken their covenant relationship with God too many times, and some believed that God's plan for Israel was now over canceled because of their sin. Part of the prophet's task was to convince the exiles who were filled with guilt and depression that God still loved them and planned to restore their relationship with him. How often have you and I felt as though God must reject us, because we have sinned too often. We have failed him too many times. God can't forgive me anymore. My particular sins and failures are too great to be forgiven. He surely is not interested in giving me yet another chance. Nevertheless, as with the unfaithful who were exiled to Babylon, God comes again, to bring deliverance. In the face of deep dejection, the prophet announces that salvation is at hand, and the exiles are to prepare for God's coming, and God's mighty work of deliverance. Faith must be revived. Idols and false gods must be removed, prayer and worship and righteousness must be restored. Judah is called to prepare the way of the Lord. The people must prepare themselves for the great and glorious coming of God in their midst. For those who felt hopeless, thinking God would never care for them again, the prophet announced, prepare the way here comes your God. Judah is given the dual metaphor build a highway in the barrenness of your heart for God is about to build a highway through the desert for your salvation. Earlier in chapter 35 of Isaiah the prophet refers to this roadway through the wilderness as a highway of holiness. And indeed Beginning around 538 B.C., God lifted the oppression of Babylon, opened a highway, and brought those exiles back home to the Promised Land. Centuries later, God inspired the Gospel writers to once again pick up these words of Isaiah and apply them to an entirely new and different act of salvation. John the Baptist is described as a voice in the wilderness calling for people to prepare the way for the Lord. English translations of Isaiah and the Gospel accounts highlight the two distinct historical occasions. In Isaiah, the voice cries out, quote, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord depicting the need for a highway through the wilderness to reach the exiles and bring them home. The gospel accounts indicate that the voice is in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, depicting John the Baptist standing in the wilderness when he calls people to repentance. In both instances, the good news is God is coming, and he's bringing deliverance and salvation. In both instances, people are called to prepare for God's coming. Today, the message directed at both historical circumstances calls also to us. God is coming, and he brings deliverance and salvation. We must prepare for God's coming. It's not a matter of getting our lives in order so that we look good enough to be acceptable to God. He's coming in the first place because he already loves his children and desires to restore them. Preparation for his coming is a matter of turning toward God and submitting to his will and work in our lives. Preparation for his coming means aligning ourselves to be led on that metaphoric highway of holiness. We're already acceptable to God, but we must cooperate with his mighty work and participate in the relationship he provides, or we exclude ourselves from God's great work of salvation and sanctification. Our preparation, our participation, requires discipline and right action. We're called to refrain from evil, practice that which is loving and good. The call to prepare the way of the Lord does not expect that we sit back and wait for His arrival, anticipating that God will do all things for us. If that were the case, There'd be nothing for us to prepare. Rather, God has gifted us with minds and bodies to think and speak and act in ways which reflect allegiance and obedience to our Lord. Perhaps most significantly, preparation means reviving faith and hope. No matter how far gone we feel we are in relationship to God, no matter how often we have failed our God, God continues to come and bring restoration. We must hear the words of the prophet. Comfort. Comfort. Here is your God. Prepare to receive his deliverance. The advent of God's coming is a call to holiness, to monitor everything we look at and read and hear and say and touch and do in order to align ourselves with God's coming. Most of all, it begins with turning back to God. Holiness in relationship to God must become the highway in the wilderness of our lives, which prepares for the coming of the Lord. The ongoing character of this wondrous relationship is evident by the fact that we rehearse Advent year after year. We continually prepare for His coming in the celebration of Christ's birth. It's an annual rite of renewal. May our preparations for the Christ child enliven our walk with God throughout the coming year. Following Isaiah's proclamation of comfort and deliverance, in which the glory of the Lord is to be revealed, there is a word of lament, a lament of despair. Verses 6 and 7 once again. A voice says, cry out. I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The lament expresses a typical reaction of fear and doubt. This is the fear that something so good cannot last. It's the fear which restrains us from getting our hopes up for we don't want to be disappointed. The exiles knew their own history of inconsistency. God comes and goes as they call upon him and reject him again. The nation rises and falls with their unfaithfulness. All seems temporary and fades like the flower and withers like the grass. We know the same is true for us. Nothing seems to last. Sports teams rise and fall in their dominance. Fashion trends become popular and fade away. The economy is once robust and then collapses overnight. More significantly, our attempts at well-being vacillate from success to failure. We work hard to lose weight over a period of months, only to gain it all back in a weekend splurge. We struggle to break a bad habit, only to succumb to temptation at the first moment of weakness. We strive to live holy, only to despair at our repeated failure. The response from the word of God to such lament is, yes, that is true. The grass withers and the flower fades. The things of earth are transitory, subject to decay and destruction. There is brokenness and weakness and failure in this world. But there's a source of hope which is eternal. In the midst of this lament, comes an assurance that we need not despair. Verse 8, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The world is transitory and has fallen. But God has overcome the world and its brokenness. God's word is not of this world. God's word is not subject to decay or destruction. God's word is forever, eternal. For the exiles in the sixth century BC, this word of God was assurance that deliverance was indeed on its way. They will return to the promised land. Their hopes will not be dashed. They would not be disappointed and they were not. In verses 9-11, the prophet declares to the exiles, Here is your God. He comes with might. He will feed his flock. He will gather the lambs in his arms. The gospel of John informs us that the word of God, which is everlasting, became flesh and lived among us. The Lord, whose way was to be prepared, is the eternal word become flesh among us. That word, Jesus Christ, is the one whose coming we anticipate and celebrate this Advent season. That word, Jesus Christ, is our assurance of deliverance and salvation. Through Christ, the inconsistency and brokenness of our lives, our repeated failures, are all overcome as the exiles were told in regard to the Word assuring their restoration to the promised land, so we are told in regard to the coming of the Word made flesh, here is your God. In Christ, God comes to us in flesh, living with all our weakness and brokenness, but overcoming this world overcoming even sin and death. Thereby Christ makes a way for us to live through this world and likewise overcome sin and death. The exiles of the 6th century B.C., the people of the 1st century A.D., and all of us today are called to prepare the way of the Lord. The exiles are not called to prepare themselves for reestablishing the kingdom of David or the kingdom of Israel or to prepare for renewed wealth and power. Rather they're called to put away their idols and false gods and surrender once again to God in trust and faith. Even so, Christ God's word made flesh calls to us not to prepare for earthly kingdoms of personal wealth and power. Rather the coming of Christ calls us to align ourselves with the kingdom of God, led by the crucified one who is alive forevermore. Let us put aside our sin, trust again in the Lord, and anticipate with great joy the advent of our God in the coming of the Christ child. Here comes our God in the form of a child in a manger. Prepare the way. Open your heart. Turn to God once again. For deliverance, salvation is at hand. Glory to God.
0: together in response, Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. His name is called Emmanuel.
1: Our Lord, we praise you for your coming. We ask that you plow your way through the wilderness of our lives and empower us to prepare for your wondrous coming.